Welcome to the Monday episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Groon. And on Mondays, we sit down and talk about the passage of Scripture that was preached on Sunday, which is a practice that we encourage our gospel communities to engage in as well, so that we're not just hearing the Word and quickly moving on and forgetting what we heard. We want to be affected by God's Word, and that involves reading over it again, thinking about it, talking about it with others, all with a view to be affected, to be changed and transformed and led by the Spirit of God in our response to the Word of God. So I'm just going to read the beginning and the end of this. Uh, the passage has a kind of a bookend um, and, and maybe that introductory command because this is, this is new to Exodus, some specific commands that God gives as they are preparing to go into the promised land. This is Exodus 34, beginning in verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. And then there are commands about several feasts that they are to observe, Sabbath rest and giving to the Lord the first and the best. And the passage ends with these words, verse 27, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Lord, thank you for your word pray that we'd be sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think one way that this uh, podcast is helpful is just hearing from other people who sat under the word. What stood out to you? What affected you, challenged you, confused you from the text, from the sermon? So always, I always look forward to hearing input from you guys. Thoughts? Yeah, it's just amazing to me. Uh, Again, the grace of God in just His desire to renew this thing and Mm. to um, to lean in and to continue, like He says at the beginning, doing marvels and and acting on the benefit of these people, these stiff-necked, rebellious, easy to forget, easy to walk away people. It's just uh, it's encouraging to my soul again to think, oh, I'm that way. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Lest we say in our heart, these Israelites, why can't they pull it together? Mm-hmm. Uh, just a reminder to myself, like, how often do I walk away? How often do I uh, neglect God? And yet he keeps covenant with me mm-hmm. uh, regardless. And so that starting point, and then coupled with your, uh, you know, that you titled your sermon, Against Cheap Grace, not letting that, oh, wow, God is so forgiving and gracious, counteract the clear bulk of this, of this text is God commanding people to do stuff. Mm. And he doesn't just mean, all right, go out and try your best. He really means do them. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what's really 
you know, that's really informative for us, uh, especially as new covenant people. Um, I think there are, there are, there are translations that happen now into the new Testament that actually intensify the grace of God and the commands of God, Mm. uh, which are for our good. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout scripture, we're always seeing this pattern of, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show you grace so that you're going to live in my ways and extend my glory throughout all the earth. So even here, starting out, he says, I'm going to drive out all these peoples from the land of Canaan and you're going to go tear down all their altars. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the people are receiving that grace from God that I'm going to remove all the enemies out of that land, but I need you to do this as well to live by faith. Trust me and do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It affected me this last week spending time in this passage, verse 10, the repeated emphasis on what God is going to do. I will do this. I I will perform these wonders. I will do these marvels and God's intention in that to make his name great. He's going to do it in front of Israel for them to see and experience. And he's going to do it in the sight of the nations to make his name great among the nations. And I think that's so important for us to understand the foundation of God's relationship with us is his commitment to make his name great by doing all of that, fulfilling all of his promises, which corrects the thinking that God just kind of looks down through the corridor of time and he chooses those people who he saw they were going to choose him. There was some quality right. in us that we, we were going to choose God. We were more spiritually inclined. We were more moral. We were more open, whatever. And God picks those people. Like here, clearly, he is not picking the people who best help him out. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> he is picking people like you were saying, Matt, who are prone to wander and have already, you know, the covenant, the ink isn't even dried and they are <laughs> sinning. He's had to make a second way. copy already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So clearly, like he did not, and, and Moses will hammer this in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. when he just emphasizes again and again, God did not choose you because you were the, the best nation or the strongest one or the wisest one or whatever. Um, and so then why did he? Well, he is going to make his name great by fulfilling his promises to work for their good in spite of them. Mm. And, and in, I, I just think personally the comfort that that is, um, knowing that even our sin can't thwart that, like mm. even that in God's wisdom just magnifies his mercy. So Paul can say in, in Romans that where sin increased, grace mm. superabounded. And, and even that serves to just magnify God's grace yeah. all the more. It was a Martin Luther reformer. Uh, I think it was back in like 1520, 21. He wrote a letter to uh, Melanchthon, which was another you know, former Catholic reformer uh, eventually. And he's famously quoted saying, and maybe you're familiar with this quote, um, love God and sin boldly. And there's a lot of people that take that way too far out of context. Yeah. Um, but what he's talking about there is exactly what you were saying, Ryan. Um, you know, we love God and realizing that our sin is strong, but God's grace abounds more and mm. it's stronger in that way. And so um, we can't leave thinking, oh, because God is full of grace, then you know he's lenient with my sin. Right. No, God still takes sin seriously, but how serious our sin is, that offense against God, his grace still abounds to us more. Yeah. So it's not that cheap grace, it's costly. And you said in your sermon, it cost him his own son. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. was killed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the right way to understand what Luther's saying, there's not permission, you know, right. go, go, go find some sin yep. and, and do it with all your heart. But rather when, when you don't, when you're not convinced of the grace of God, then you have to kind of make your sin look not so bad. And so then our confession ends up being uh, more like excuse making. Mm. Like, I, well, it was because I was tired or because this or that. Or, you know, we, we don't want to just boldly say, no, I, I did that and I meant to. <laughs> and yeah. I, I meant to hurt yeah. you and call it what it is. I think that's the, the, the boldness in confession to mm. call sin exactly what it is, not pull any punches, take full responsibility for right. it. That's where we can have that boldness about our sin to say, no, that, that's exactly what I did and what I'm guilty of and that it's wrong. And it brings us straight to the foot of the cross. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Only when you're convinced of the grace of God could you boldly acknowledge and confess your sin. Yep. If you don't trust the grace of God, you have to kind of whitewash it and, and make it, try to clean it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of cheap grace is that, like you guys have been saying, is, it, <clears throat> is the cost of it. If... Our idea is, well, God doesn't really care that much about my sin. He, he, you know, that Exodus 34 blow, like this whole, this whole post, uh, the fallout after the golden calf just blows that apart and says, no, God really cares. I mean, he, he was uh, on the edge of leaving his people. Mm-hmm. Moses, you know, he, remember that he called that a disastrous word. Yeah. Do not send us out of here without your presence going with us. And so the, God takes his takes our sin so seriously that he, as you said, Mark, he dealt with it in the only way that he could deal with it, which is through the blood of Jesus and through his own son uh, dying on our behalf as our representative before God. And Ryan, you were saying before we turn on the mics, like that was this category of Moses up on the mountain as our representative was a, something you didn't get into, but maybe what, yeah. so spell that out for us here in Exodus. Well, it says at the end of the text that, um, God made this, you know, verse 10 begins, behold, I'm making a covenant. And then it ends in verses 27 and 28. And it says that God made a covenant with Moses and with Israel. Right. But the interesting thing is Israel is not present yeah. at all. Everything that's happened from Exodus 32 is Moses back on the mountain, just Moses and God and Moses interceding and Moses pleading. And so when God renews this covenant, unlike the first time down Mount Sinai, the people are gathered there. They hear God's voice. God directly to them, they yeah. respond at when Moses, you know, delivers all these commands, they respond. We will do this. We will obey the Lord. So, so the people are participating in that covenant ceremony here. It's just Moses. Uh, and so he really, in a p- profound way, as he has throughout Exodus, mm-hmm. he foreshadows a mediator who represents the people, and they're not even present. And, mm-hmm. and that really points us to the new covenant, where that covenant is established by Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. It, so you can say, well, I wasn't there for that covenant being formed. That's okay. If you are in Christ by faith, that's where the covenant was established and then it holds true for everybody who is united to Christ. So yeah, that, I think that's a, a significant part of this passage. As we, you know, Ryan, and maybe you want to speak to this too, just maybe possibly going into some of these, uh, one of our purposes for this podcast is not just to rehash the sermon every time, but try and dig in a little bit deeper and mm-hmm. uh, reflect on some, some of the things. And then also I think part of the plan is to move kind of Ryan's been putting out these gospel community discussion questions, wanting to maybe engage with some of these, just yeah. not to give the answers, if you will, but just 
as you were saying earlier, to prime the pump and mm-hmm. just kind of what's our reaction to them. And I think we've been, I think one of them, and these are about to go out, but uh, number three, we've been using this word covenant a lot, mm. especially the book of Exodus. And then you referenced Deuteronomy, which is, yeah, a big deal with, with covenant. Um, it's worth pausing and asking, okay, what is that thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what is it? Why is it, how is it different from something like a contract? Um, and because it just keeps coming up and it's going to keep coming up because it is the basis. Well, I would say it's, it's the, the way that God relates to his creation and particularly his redeemed people mm-hmm. is through covenant. So maybe I'll ask you guys, what, what, how do you understand the covenant to be? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a solemn bond. Yeah. And we do see various examples that there can be covenants between peers. Um, but when God relates to his people, there is an inequality there. Yep. Um, right. God relates as Lord and master, and he promises, I will be your God. You will be my people. And, and it joins two parties together in a, a solemn bond with oaths. There are oaths involved. God makes promises. God makes oaths. He, he promises, I'm going to do this. Um, and he puts his own name and reputation on the line. And then he follows through. And at the same time, <laughs> because his people are entering into this covenant with God, it, it's not just an empty, hollow thing. It, it has blessings for faithfulness mm. and curses for unfaithfulness. And I think that language um, makes, can tend to make people in the New Covenant era uneasy, like, yeah. oh, blessings, curses. Um, almost sounds like, well, rewards for works. Are we talking about merit and, and earning things? No, we're not. But we are talking about um, this, this means something. And that's why there are blessings for faithfulness and curses for unfaithfulness. And if you read through the New Testament, you see the new covenant has blessings and curses. Mm-hmm. That, that's why, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul can talk about you heard this gospel, you're standing in this, you're being saved by this, unless you believed in vain. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there, these blessings come to you if you remain in faith in Christ. And if you don't, what does the new covenant promise? Judgment, wrath. Um, so all of that just means this is, this is binding. Yeah. I, I think that's the important thing. Yeah, some of the more theological language involved in this definition is oftentimes um, it's a, it's a divinely initiated mm-hmm. bond. So it's not like you said, the King to the vassal. It's, it's not, you know, we didn't enter into it. God addressed us and called and said, I will be your God. You will be my people. So it's divinely inspired, a divinely initiated. And like all covenants, it's, it's this bond that there has uh, that, that, that must be maintained. Mm-hmm. And the, the binds are the, 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 the thing that binds our covenant with God together are love and faithfulness. Those two things summarized in, so like, okay, well, how do you love God and how are you faithful to God? Well, good news. He gave you his word and he gave you, so if we said it with the Israelites, he gave them laws. He gave them directives. Do this, don't do this. That is how you love me. That's how you maintain this relationship. Now, uh, it's not like an employee employer contract in the sense of, all right, here's, I'm, I, need, I need help with something. Uh, you guys, I will pay you this if you guys, I will, you know, not destroy, right. you know, fill in whatever 
reward you want. I will do this as long as you guys do this for me and meet some need that I have. Right. That's not at all. It's more like a father to a son or mm-hmm. a, a doctor to a patient where there's trust and there's relationship and love between the two. So now when my, and what's interesting is, you know, new, new covenant, new Testament, Ephesians six, the clear command where Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, you know, hearkening back to the, the fifth commandment. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you will live long in the land. So there's, there's a promise held out that if you obey, things will go well for you. Mm-hmm. Now it's not by obeying, you can go to your parents and say, Hey, I earned, I earned this. Yeah. Give me, give me a good, you know, make it well with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's, it's highlighting the fact of like when my sons and my, my daughter, when my kids obey and when they are joyful and, and all the rest, the whole aroma of the house is affected by that. And when they disobey or if let's just make it more personal, if I am short or, you know, impatient or whatever, it has a, a, a disfellowshipping in the house. Yeah. Um, now nobody stops being a part of the family. Like, my kids are always my kids. My, my wife is always my wife. What needs to happen is reconciliation. What needs to happen is the bonds need to be restored, this fellowship. And now God has made a way in Christ for us to have that ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. So that's really helpful to me in thinking of, okay, because I think, I think a lot of times people hear the commands of the covenant of do this, do this, these obligations, and then the promises of blessing and curses, whether mm-hmm. or not how you perform if you will, as being this pure, like my salvation, my covenantal status yeah. rests on what I do. Um, and that's just a fundamental misalignment. Uh, you are God's family. You are in his family. You've been adopted by the blood of Jesus. So now God is calling you to act like it, mm-hmm. bear his name. Uh, and you ask, you might ask, well, what does that look like? Well, good news. God's given you his word to show you this is what it looks like as right. he's done with the Israelites. Yeah. yeah. So I think a couple of important things to remember is obviously the parties involved. So you have God and you have his people. Um, and then specifically, although it's God is authoritative and that's why he's able to make a covenant like this, that's true. But I think it's really rooted in his character. Um, Cause if it was just some Supreme being just saying, now do this, hmm. that it's different, but God being who he is reading throughout Exodus hmm. and, the entire Old Testament, New Testament, what he does for his people, yeah. how he lays down his very own son um, in love for his people. So I think remembering that's what makes this covenant unique is yeah. the character of God. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Matt, like you mentioned words like obligations, <clears throat> talked about blessings and, and curses in a covenant relationship. I, th- I think words like obligations can also cause you know, the guard to go up. Um, if, if it's about a love relationship, there's no room for talk of obligations mm-hmm. or duty, is there? But again, if you think in terms of a marriage, which is a covenant, um, there are obligations. Uh, that marriage covenant begins with vows to be exclusive and faithful to that person, to love them, to cherish them, to honor them for better, for worse, and sickness and health. All of that, like you make these vows and and that's how the relationship begins so suddenly you have obligations to this one person that Mm. you don't have to everybody in the world right or likewise from a parent to a child there's not a formal ceremony where you make vows but 
by nature of having these children, who of all the people in the world is responsible for that child's provision, for their well-being, for all of that, it, it's a parent. So you know, parents have obligations to their children to provide for them, to feed them, to nurture them, to love them, to care for them, to instruct them and discipline them, all of that. Th- those are obligations. And those obligations are the expression of our love for our children. When we feed them, when we teach them, when we clothe them, we are expressing love. And so there's no contradiction then between obligation and love. In fact, fulfilling your covenant obligations is the way that you love people. You can't just say, well, I love my kids in my heart. Right. And I don't want to have to fulfill any obligations toward them because mm-hmm. that would be so impersonal. So I will neglect them and not feed them and not teach them. <laughs> you, you can't do that. Um, you know, living out those obligations. So likewise, in our relationship with God, there really are obligations. God says, this is how I'm going to relate to you. And these are the promises I make to you. This is how you relate to me. And these are my ways. Trust me and, and walk in these ways. And so Jesus, new covenant, <laughs> Jesus can say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Mm. O- obeying Jesus is the way to love Jesus. A- and I think it's common in American evangelicalism to think, well, the way you mainly love Jesus is you have devotional thoughts and, and feelings and, you know, worship music that gets, sets the mood right and all of those things. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, understanding the nature of that covenant relationship really is, is crucial. And, and Matt, like you were saying, this is how God has always related to his people. So the Old Testament stuff is instructive for us. Some of the specific commands of the covenant change, you know, new, new covenant from old covenant. Um, so there, there are important distinctions and, and differences, but God still relates to us covenantally. Mm-hmm. I think that's just so important that, you know, even first John says, how do we know that we love God? If you keep his commands mm-hmm. and if you lay down your life for others, which are all actions. So I just, I think we, the, how does this then relate to that idea of cheap grace of, well, yes, there are obligations. There are promises. And I really still do sin. Yeah. <laughs> I really do not uphold that all the time. Right. Um, and cheap grace says, well, that's okay. You just keep doing your darndest. Uh, and, you know, God doesn't really, he doesn't actually care that much. You just keep, you keep, you, you try your best, he'll do the rest. Um, but actual, the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we see the display in the person of Jesus, in he who laid down his life for us, yeah. for the joy mm-hmm. set before him, he endured the cross. Yeah. All, all those things to secure for you now the ability to, the ability to obey. Mm. Um, it's meant that, to affect something in us. Right. This, uh, Ezekiel 36 is clear of like, he took out our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh so that, and put his spirit within us so that heart of stone for a heart of flesh is what happens to you when you trust in Jesus, when and trust what he did for you on the cross. And now he's put his spirit in you and causes you to walk in your way. So we are now enabled by God's spirit uh, to produce fruits of the spirit, fruit Mm -hmm. that come Mm -hmm. from the spirit, the fruit that can only come by supernatural works of the spirit. And so I I can now, yes, I fail. And yes, Christ has paid for those failings. Um, But like you were saying earlier, Ryan, is like I need to recognize them as failings 
confess those sins, ask for forgiveness, receive that forgiveness, trust that God deals with them the way that he says he does by removing them as far as the east is from the west, does not remember them anymore, and then trust in Christ as you move forward, learning and yeah. growing, becoming holier and holier and more sanctified throughout our whole lives. I think it's just so important as we remember this. Um, all of this is because of the grace of God. It, mm-hmm. it, he did not need to act for us, and yet he has. Mm. And that's what's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's grace that trains us to live in such a way, as Titus 2 you had brought up in your sermon yeah. says. Um, I think even, obviously, the grace we receive trains us, but I think also the grace we see in others should have an effect on us too. Just thinking of when in our GC, when we share evidence of God's grace, you know, whether that's a gospel conversation someone had with a coworker or um, something that God revealed to them as they're reading uh, his word that day or um, interaction with a family member, whatever it might be, even that sharing that, I would pray I would have an effect on the other people hearing that. Um, realizing that, yeah, God is gracious. Mm. That's meant to get me, take my eyes off myself, and look for the ways that God is just continually pouring out grace, not because he's lenient, mm-hmm. but because he's good, mm-hmm. and it's meant to affect us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that paradigm, put off, put on, that's new covenant language, Ephesians 4. And th- these are two passages I would encourage anybody who wants to dig deeper into this, and particularly the new covenant application of it, uh, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17, and then really keep going into chapter 5, because after Paul talks about kind of the broad categories of putting off and putting on, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, then he goes through very specific examples of, you know, <coughs> let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work hard right. with his hands so that he has something to share with those in need. So he's talking, put off stealing, put on hard work and generosity. Mm-hmm. He goes through a lot of specific practical examples of that. And just seeing that this is how God changes us. This is how God transforms his people. This is what it looks like when sinners are convicted of their sin, repent of that sin, turn to Christ. God doesn't just leave us there with a pat on the head and say, they're there, it's okay, I don't really care that much. Right. No, he, he loves us enough to actually change us yeah. um, out of our sin into, yeah, he sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ. And so the other passages, Titus 2, 11 through 14, where we see the very grace that saves us is the grace that trains us. And it trains us in, in two ways. Again, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, that's the putting off side, and trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That's the putting on godliness, putting mm-hmm. on self-control. So um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's transformational. And by God's grace, may this word mm. prompt those trusting responses to God's mercy and kindness. Yes. Amen.